Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. Happy Tuesday, and thanks for all of the really cool messages that we got this weekend. A few of you wrote in, pleasantly surprised, and I'm glad, by our latest episode of TV, the large SUV episode, where we talked about super SUVs, and we raised some interesting conversation. It, it created from us some interesting conversation, and you guys kept going, I didn't expect those thoughts, which was fun. No, I, I agree, and I'm glad you guys had those thoughts and conversations. Keep sending that kind of stuff to us. I'm glad we're making you think critically about the things that you know come across our minds when mm-hmm. we yeah, see yeah. a particular car, and we think, huh. What could that get compared to? And it might not always be the obvious thing. And that's what we kind of pride ourselves in doing is finding that thing that, mm-hmm. huh, this is really actually the the real comparison, what it should be, not just kind of what you think it is. But, you know, sometimes we're off base and totally. you know, we've been that in the, before. Absolutely. But. but also the reality of the fact that just like these Topic Tuesdays that we do, it's amazing how when you start into one pathway of conversation about a car, you can spear off into other things you don't expect. And that kind of yeah. happened over the Super yeah. SUV episode, so that was really fun. We do are we are in the middle of season nine. This week, this Saturday, I'm giving you a lot of lead time. This Saturday is Beaver and Horse. Beaver and Horse. It is the M4 versus the Mustang Mach One. You're going to be surprised by this compare. I know you are. These cars are surprisingly very close mm-hmm. in architecture and size and weight and power and, power and spec and spec and spec and spec and spec. Except for one thing. Money. The price is different. But yeah. we thought, what a great comparison. So that's coming at you. Beaver and Horse for episode three. These <laughs> episodes will soon be on Amazon Prime and Vimeo for our patrons. They're actually going out that is, with a week delay right now for okay. our patrons on Vimeo. Right. So that's happening for patrons. So if you're right. a patron, thank you for your support and you are getting access early, which is very cool. They will be on Amazon Prime as soon as possible. What will happen is they'll we'll go through our six weeks and then they'll go to Amazon Prime in mass. So hopefully mm-hmm. that will happen soon. We'll keep you informed. And then we are closing the gap for our main our original youtube channel we're closing the gap so that those tv episodes will be roughly six months behind when they premiered on tv so we are closing that up there's a lot more stuff coming to youtube we have a monster shoot yes coming for our original youtube channel and with stuff on test drive it's going to have pieces both places i think we we were telling it earlier i think it's going to be 10 pieces total across two channels this shoot is going to be every bit as big as one of our feature films we're doing it in about a week which we're doing I can't a believe. monster we're doing cheap sports yes. car shoot yes. with our cheap sports cars and lots of others available for similar prices. During this current price market, we're very excited. Well, what it stems out of is not just our own approach to cheap sports cars, but it's driven by you guys mm-hmm. wondering, yeah. Yeah, yeah. hey, Todd, hey, Paul, what can I get legitimately under 10 grand, mm-hmm. not 10 grand, not nine? What can I get at eight grand and under? Yeah, we're, we're using That's the same the discussion. It's the same exact way that we shop to buy our current cheap sports cars. We're going to take that same approach. Yep. We're going to look at everything we didn't buy that could have bought and have a discussion about what's good and why. Yep, exactly. Well, switching gears very quickly to a recent press car that we've had. Buckle your seatbelt because I'm about to rant. Oh, are you? <clears throat> Big thanks to Toyota and Lexus for continuing to send us vehicles. <laughs> okay. Right. I, I am very, very appreciative. It is definitely a privilege to be able to drive continual cars mm-hmm. because we want to pass along to you guys listening, whether it's through video or through podcast discussion like this, our thoughts on a particular car because you might be shopping. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you are, you need to know where we stand on certain things and, and what we're looking for. 
at various price points, okay. at various categories. You and I might disagree on this, car. I'm very curious to hear your I thoughts. I would love to hear your thoughts. But I'm speaking of the 2021 Lexus NX300H. Mm-hmm. It's the hybrid version. Yes. In luxury trim, in nori green pearl. The specs are this. Two and a half liter hybrid engine. So 194 total system horsepower. The yeah. gasoline engine is 151, yeah. 154 uh, horsepower. And the rest of the systems, two motor generators, so that makes up for the rest. This is a 4,100-pound mm-hmm. SUV. Mm-hmm. The RX is the Lexus Egg that we talk about. It's the five-seat CUV that kind of started the CUV craze in the 2000s. So this is below the RX. It is smaller than the RX, so it yes, is a, yes. a mid-to-small-sized five-seater. There is a good amount of room in the back. It's surprisingly good. Climb back yes. there, and we're looking for a headroom. We're looking mm-hmm. for legroom. It's actually pretty good. Yep. There's a good amount of space in that rear hatch. Yes, for sure. Pretty impressed by that. Mm-hmm. The overall styling is in the eye of the beholder. I feel like it's got a giant overbite. I don't appreciate this styling, and I wish Lexus would really start to move past this even more so in an evolutionary standpoint. And develop even past if they the Predator to Maw. Come up with a different theme altogether and <laughs> throw the rest out because Less we had a good run, haven't we? We did. The Predator's been around a while. Yes, it, it has. has. As I said, 4180, sorry, almost 4,200 pounds yeah. in a SUV mm-hmm. that is softly sprung. Yes. Very soft. Sport mode really doesn't change anything about the suspension. It changes the throttle response It a does change bit. the throttle response, definitely. I've driven a lot of... CVTs and eCVTs, as have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never have I been in a vehicle where I can downshift and the engine revs don't change. <laughs> I can upshift and the engine revs don't change. It, I can yeah. do a combination of flooring it and downshifting and nothing changes. I can do it the other way. I can let off and upshift and nothing changes. The, the thing that you and I... Have, I haven't even gotten to the crux of the matter. Okay, well, here's the thing. You and I have talked a lot about Toyota's hybrid systems in a lot of their cars. Yes. I'm thinking specifically about the RAV4 and the current Highlander, both of which we prefer in hybrid form over standard form. Because Thank you for bringing that up. In yes. both of those, the key thing is that hybrid fills in the place where the engine can't overcome the size of the vehicle, and you end up with a lot of power leaving stoplights, and they feel really, really integrated. And somehow... This hybrid system in the NX doesn't do that. Completely agree. But here's the crux of the matter. We have mountains here in Utah. We have hills, up and down hills. Quite a few. So for a 4,200-pound SUV being powered by less than 200 horsepower Mm -hmm. with an eCVT and a really non-responsive motor coupled with very softly sprung pillowy suspension, Mm -hmm. it's not a good car to drive. And I know that maybe your typical Lexus owner isn't using that as a benchmark or requirement, they should be, mm-hmm. especially according to the Monroney, when you're paying $52,855. a lot of money for this car. For a vastly underpowered SUV. So the mm-hmm. problem is, because it's so underpowered and heavy, I kept it at over 5,000 RPM to get up a hill, mm. therefore completely negating any hybrid benefits <laughs> that the car is designed to do. Sure, yeah, I see that. I was see that. Yeah. sucking gas. Mm-hmm. It got terrible mileage, because I had to You're trying to, to keep power. the weight of the mm-hmm. car up the hill so I'm flowing with traffic and I'm not dangerous. I'm, I'm moving. Mm-hmm. I also like to drive with purpose. We yes, both do. do. Yes, we do. So I'm not hanging out in the number three lane, but I'm moving this thing mm-hmm. and I need to get up the hill. This car uses far more fuel 
than it was originally designed to do. So <laughs> there is <laughs> no hybrid benefit whatsoever. I agree. And for 52000 almost $53,000, there's a better car to buy that's bigger. It's still made by Toyota. It is the Venza. I it agree. has more power. It, it, it drives better. It's actually better looking mm-hmm. than, mm-hmm. again, Eye of the Beholder. But in their own lineup, your money is better spent on a fully loaded with the electrochromic glass roof yeah, yeah. for $43,000. Yeah. Stay within the Toyota family. Mm-hmm. And because they have a better SUV, five-seat, more power, better usage of space, more amenities, the interface isn't that horrible Lexus, the last of the Lexus interface. It's the new Toyota Mm -hmm. one. You can still spend your money with Toyota, get a far superior product. It drives better. It accelerates Mm -hmm. better. It comes up hills better. We did like the new Venza. It's superior in every way to this brand new NX300H. There isn't a thing you can throw at me that will make this a better buy in this category over any of its competitors, not to mention Toyota's own Venza. I, I think that I think you're absolutely right. I have some counterpoints, but I think you're absolutely right. Because the, the thing that I was most disappointed by in this is that we have liked hybrids elsewhere in the Toyota line. We have. And this one so seemed we to look fall to short them. as a hybrid because yes. here's the counterpoint. My mother-in-law, hmm. she's not obsessed with cars. Hmm? But she is obsessed with owning Lexus. She's had a Lexus since they were introduced. Yeah, I know. She is obsessed with the Lexus brand. Yeah. And she is a person who wants her car to just run and wants to feel like a queen when she gets any kind of service. Lexus pioneered those realities. In spite of the fact that I have, inexplicably in the last few years, gotten her to drive some other things. Those realities of the service style mm-hmm. and her history with Lexus keep pulling her back to Lexus. She even drove the Venza. That's the car to buy. She was going to buy a updated Lexus, period. That's where we landed. Yeah. So I actually convinced her that the right one for her is the NX, but not the hybrid. She's saving more than 10 grand from this hybrid by getting a standard engine. It is the turbo engine. It has more power across the board than the hybrid, and it drives normally. And by driving normally, you will actually use less fuel. And then the hybrid to, mm-hmm. to overcome the stupid weight of the car to pull it up a hill. And here's the things that I would say are a big strike against it. And that is, do you like the styling? Well, she does. And for most people, I would say, wait until Lexus updates the interface. But she has the current interface in her current Lexus. Right. And she's fine with it. She oh, understands okay. it. Okay. She's already through all the learning curves so that she just knows how the interface works. And she likes it. Now, what's funny is my son, who gets into all these press cars with us, doesn't like it because he's seen what a good interface is, which right. is hysterical to me at 11. <laughs> right. But she is used to it. And so she's at that age where she's used to the tech. That, ca- that counts for something. So the fact that yeah, most just people- because you've done I it know. that way for years doesn't mean it's the right way. I know. I know. And I agree with you. Lexus. But, but she's in a place where that, these are not detriments for her. She likes the styling and she's okay with the interface. So she's able to get a deal on that car in the non-hybrid form and get, I think, what's going to be the perfect SUV for her- but she is a very specific case. I am wrong because I think the Lexus buyer who buys the NX will be those specific cases. Mm-hmm. They aren't you. They aren't me. They're yeah. not purposeful spirited driving, wanting to get the most of their driving experience. They are just cruising. And for that reason, they'll sell. But the hybrid in this one isn't yeah. the one to buy. Don't like the hybrid. It's cobbled together. 
clearly they had to have a hybrid. Mm-hmm. And so they just threw parts at it and it didn't come out well. The mm-hmm. souffle deflated. <laughs> it is surprising to me because of so many that we've liked in hybrid form. Yes. This one's just, it's not good. And I look form. forward to yeah. hybrids. Well, I've also decided to keep the rants going and oh, now good. targeting the Volkswagen Taos, the 2022 Taos. Oh. I've decided to give weekly podcast <laughs> updates rants for this particular car, starting with a question from Brian D.Y. Wait, can we call Did it, you see this can one? Can we call it Tuesday with Taos? Tuesday with Taos. What, what, what's, the, what's the multiple of a Taos? Tau-i? Taoises? Think about that one. Taoises or Taoi. It's got to be what it is. Meanwhile, Brian says his father-in-law is the parts manager for a local Volkswagen Audi dealership. This allows him to get some pretty good lease deals for himself and family. In the past month, his father-in-law, mother-in-law, and sister-in-law all got my favorite Volkswagen in three different colors. So Paul tracked Daily Crush, (laughs) the Taos in dark gray, the Taos in dark metallic blue, and the Taos in Paul blue. (laughs) Sorry. You bought three? I cannot believe this happened. You bought three. Tuesdays with Taos. Welcome. Welcome, They bought three of them. It's unbelievable. They probably got killer deals. They probably got killer deals, but still. Mazda exists. It does, yes. I would pay more to own the Mazda. I would pay double to own the Mazda. You and I would, but that's not most people. Have I mentioned that you can't turn off the lane assist? There's no button, and it's not in the menus. Nick, who delivers press cars to us, Uh gamely decided to dive in. He couldn't find it, has not reported back yet. Nick, thank you so much for all your support. Yeah, for sure. But you cannot turn that off. But I think I've mentioned that, so this is the (laughs) new rant. The new thing that's wrong with the Taos is the doors. Okay. They feel like unbaked graham cracker pie crust. Yuck. They don't close well. They don't sound well. All the engineering for Volkswagen went into the ID4, mm-hmm. and they forgot about this again. You are a door snob. I will give it you is that. It terrible. is terrible. The doors are thin and rattling. What? Well, but it is no. interesting because we had the ID4 recently enough that the, the stark contrast between it and the Taos is, is profound. Proving that Volkswagen, when they want to, and when their focus is in the right direction, mm-hmm. you just got to like steer that laser beam like, no, 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 just do, or yeah. hey, focus on this one, make it good. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when they don't, it everything falls apart. It's Well, it's just cars, what you end up I with. Mean, it's just d- donation from the MQB fl- oh. platform. The, we can make the MQB make something that size. That sounds like the meeting. It can, but oh, it doesn't drive well. You need it doesn't what drive differently. Okay, we can make the MQB do that. Sure we can. So, Brian, I guess I have to answer your track daily crush. <laughs> and it's predicated specifically on color, oh, not gosh. by vehicle. So I'll take the dark metallic blue as the daily and the track in the Paul blue, and I'm crushing the dark gray. But I don't want any of them. Less monochrome cars. I do like that. That's good. Gack. When the weather gets hot, it's time for custom sunscreens and dash covers from Covercraft. Their custom sunscreens are made to exactly fit inside your windshield. I mean, perfectly fit for maximum protection from the sun. They're durable and sturdy and fold up wonderfully for years of dependable use. There's a wide variety of colors and styles available, including the original awesome silver one, Premier Series, and Carhartt. Covercraft offers dash matte custom dash covers as well, custom fitted to your dash for complete protection from the sun. They reduce road glare when driving and complement your interior with a large selection of colors and styles, including the original carpet dash mat, suede mat, velour mat, and the extremely popular limited edition. Whatever sunscreen, dash cover, or car cover you choose, remember you need to use the code EVERYDAY21 at checkout to receive a 10% discount and free shipping from Covercraft.com for our audience. You can find Covercraft by following the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com for high-quality products that keep your vehicles protected and looking their best. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you.
Well, we've got a very interesting topic Tuesday here from Ben H., who asks, should your fun car be the most valuable car that you own? And we've also got an interesting debate from Yasha in Dallas, Mm -hmm. who has a second child coming. Congratulations, Yasha. And wants to know if keeping the sports car is a good idea. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, too. Let's dive in, though, to the top Tuesday. Ben H. writes to us, should his fun car be the most valuable car in the garage? Mm. This car in question is a 2012 Mazda MX-5 Grand Touring, the power, power retractable hardtop, okay. approximately 30,000 miles. It's black, black interior, okay. got the handling package and the Bose stereo. The stable mates, he says, are a 2016 Camry XSE V6, 58,000 miles, and a 2012 Escape XLT 2.5 all-wheel drive. Should he sell the Miata, having driven essentially for free for a year, getting all of his money back, including Mm -hmm. tax, title, and license fees, in order to downgrade? Or does he sit still and just enjoy? Mm -hmm. The reason is, he said he received an offer from Carvana approximately for $18,500. Which is a lot of money for that car. That is a really solid offer. He's been able to find cars that intrigue him under that amount, and he could get some cash out of the car to put towards getting rid of debt in order to have more car money later. That sounds like a sound financial plan. As much as you and I are not financial planners, even I understand that math, (laughs) which is which is profound. Yeah, it's pretty big. He can get another rear-wheel drive fun car for about that amount. He's owned numerous fun Honda front-wheel drive carts, but he's hesitant to go back. But just wondering what we think. And he says, by the way, Todd, he thought Paper Father was wonderful. Man, Ben, thank you. That's fantastic. And he says, Paul, thanks for being a watch guy. (laughs) Enjoys it when they come up with a podcast. Sometimes I feel like I talk about him too much. Well, we we go through stages. Watches like ebb and flow on this podcast. We'll we'll go for a while and not talk watches. And then I end up snoozing through like four podcasts in a row because it's all watch questions. So that'll come back. By the way, a a reminder that on our 25th, 625th podcast will be two things special. It'll be all questions. It'll also be live again, reminding that we're reminding you that we're doing that again. Uh, ben, hey, thanks for the comment on Paper Father. The, a lot of you have read that novel since I did my my author Q and A, and I'm seriously considering doing another one for those of you that have asked for another author Q and A. Now that you finish it, so that will come at some point once we are done delivering season nine. There's a lot of stuff going on <laughs> like that. that. Uh, ben, I want to circle back to one thing you said here. <clears throat> you could get eighteen thousand five hundred dollars for your Miata. Now, whether yeah. or not you sell it is a separate question. To the following. You said you can't get another rear-wheel drive fun car for that amount. I'm sorry, where are you looking? Mm. Because mm. I- I'm going to go there. Okay. Autotempest.com slash everyday driver. Go there. Or it's actually just everyday. Autotempest.com slash everyday. Go there. Look around. You can find plenty of rear-wheel drive sports cars for less than eighteen five. You could get plenty of them between ten and fifteen and still have three or four grand in your pocket. We're about to prove that. We're about to get. We're about to pull a lot of them. All of them. uh, All of them researched via Auto Tempest to make sure there were multiple options. We are not in our cheap car challenge, and they're not outliers. It was important to us that we don't just pull an outlier. We found one special car, and that means they're all that way because they're not. Mm -hmm. Despite my Fiesta S talk, Fiesta ST talk under ten grand years ago, but these are genuinely. We found pages mm -hmm. and cars under eight grand. When we did our last cheap car compare, when we had that three seventy Z, we happened to find an outlier ten thousand dollar three seventy Z, and there were no others. But we put it in there because we were like, look at this one. This is not that situation. So my point here is, if you want to get rid of your Miata, which uh, let's have a conversation about whether or not the most valuable car in your garage should be your fun car, which is one of the things you brought up. But if you sold that car for 18 grand and you went and bought something else fun for 12, you could go buy something good that runs, that's rear-wheel drive and still fun, maybe even another Miata if you really wanted to stay in that family mm-hmm. for 12. 
Absolutely you could. And you still have money in your pocket. So there is no reason. You say you don't want to go back to a front-wheel drive car even though you had fun with them. There is no reason you need to. So I want to really encourage you there first. Oh, I like that. That's interesting. I think we can all look around the room and congratulate ourselves for being Captain Obvious by saying no. To answer your question, Ben, of course, your fun car doesn't have to be the most valuable car that you own. But reading between the lines, I feel like you're asking us the question to make the case for either. Mm. To make Mm -hmm. the case for, yes, it needs to be. It needs to be the most valuable car. Mm -hmm. But then over here for least valuable, and that's really what Todd was just talking about, making that case for using that money wisely, still getting the rear wheel drive fun sports car. Yeah, yeah. And then the entire point of the film is a, did we choose wisely with the cars that we bought, but yep. B, what percentage of fun over that car are you having and how do you measure it? Yeah. It's a very hard comes down very to hard. personal preference. Of course. Yeah, yeah. But I'll make the case Ben for most valuable. I'll start there. Mm-hmm. Okay. If it's the car you've always wanted. Mm-hmm. Yes. It can absolutely be the most valuable car in your garage. You've mm-hmm. saved, you've spent 50, 60, 70, 100. It's the poster car. Yeah. And you now own it. I own that. Absolutely. I give you permission. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because many of you have written to us, and I love the emails where it says, I've always wanted a Corvette, but I'm considering an Alpha and a Ford and a GM and a blind. And then we go, wait, screech. Hang on. Record scratch. (laughs) But you said you always wanted a Corvette. Please read your email back again. Like Todd's dad. Uh Uh-huh. For sure. Or they'll say, well, I'm, I'm looking for a hot hatch and something like that. I've always wanted a 911 side note. But anyway, hot hatches and 86s and me, yeah. I'm like, screech. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. How, how can you write that? But I love that writing your thoughts down in that mm-hmm. email form, mm-hmm. in the car debate yeah. form to yeah, us, yeah. it sort of helps you along. You sort of see your thoughts kind of yeah. come to life on that page and you realize, oh, I've always wanted a 911 or I've always mm-hmm. wanted an mm-hmm. insert car here, whatever that is. And so in that case, and you've always wanted that car and you finally realize, well, if I sell that, I haven't been driving that car either. And I could cobble some money. I got a little extra in savings that I was thinking about maybe spending. I could do it. And we say, Mm -hmm. do it right away. And yes, it can be the most valuable car. I say that with a big caveat. You have to drive it. Yes. You can't get that most valuable car. And then now I have that car. Mm Because the other reason is you've rewarded yourself. Yeah, That's the yeah. other reason the car can be the most valuable car in your garage. You have said, I major life accomplishment mm-hmm. or birthday or yes. milestone yes. or something in your life. And you finally feel like I can give myself permission to throw down. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get that car. And it's yes. something. Ah, You're a car person. It's, it's a reward. reward. I tried to come up with like headlines for the most valuable, the middle valuable, least valuable. And my headline for this one was it's the most special. Mm but it also might be the most precious. Mm, That's yes. the downside yes. because I agree with you. This is the car you've rewarded yourself. I had the poster on the wall. There's, and, and when people do this, there's always the story. This is what makes me laugh. When you, when you find somebody who has stretched to buy a car that they almost thought was beyond their reach and beyond their means, mm-hmm. but they've got it. I love having conversations with those people because there is, there's, there's a childlike twinkle in their eyes. Yeah. They can't yeah. believe they did this. That's cool. It's the coolest thing to see in somebody's <laughs> face. And so it becomes this very special thing, but there is that there is that dark side of it. Mm-hmm. And that is sometimes because it's that icon, I can't do anything with it. I just rewatched Ferris yeah. Bueller, saw it for the first time with my son, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, you did? And so you've got Cameron talking about his dad. No he never drives way. it, he just rubs it with a diaper. It was that. My son loved it. No when that, way. When that, sorry, spoiler alert, but it's, it, it's time now. When that Ferrari backs out of the garage and gets destroyed, my son was jaw-dropped. He was like, 
No. You just let the film happen. You didn't oh, prep course. him a no, bit, right? No, 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 no. You just no, said, no, we're going to watch this particular movie. You've never Absolutely. heard of it. Yep. No way. We watched with him and one of his buddies, and they were talking about it, and they loved it. But anyway, so but that's the thing. <laughs> if it's so precious, I have it, but it's the Holy Grail, and I can't use it. Now, that's, that's a car that owns you, and you shouldn't have it. Mm-hmm. But if it's the most valuable car because I attained it, and now I'm driving it and using it, and I own this, there is a fantastic success story there for a person, and I do love that. I suppose middle or sorry, the most valuable car can also be the only car that you have. Of course it so, can. Yes, absolutely. I yeah. only have one. It's yeah. the most valuable. It's like I tell my nephew all the time, you're my favorite nephew. And it's like, I'm your only nephew. I said, yeah, but you're still my favorite. <laughs> it works out. Drives him up a wall. That works out well. Yeah. It's hilarious. We'll go into middle value. That can also be a compromise here. Mm-hmm. That can mean either it's the second car or you're looking for something that can kind of fill this void. And we're looking for the third car, you know, your husband or wife is taken care of mm-hmm. and you're looking for maybe to add a third car, hopefully mm-hmm. not a project car, but <laughs> somewhere in the middle, we can't really throw down this, you know, all the money we want and we'll save that for five, 10 years out. We'll mm-hmm. look down the yeah, road yeah. to, you know, something really fun, but middle value is really the, I want something now. I've got to feed that thing now mm-hmm. and I'm willing to compromise on a few areas to spend less. That's okay. Yeah. Well, this is where the Lotus Elise wound up for me mm-hmm. is when I bought that. Now that, now that was a car for me that I wanted for a long time. True. But when we bought it, it cost me about the same as it did when we bought my wife's Cayenne. Mm. So we hadn't done some crazy budget, budget move to get a Lotus Elise. Right. It right. was about the value of the other stuff we own. Now for me, it was much more special and she turned out to like it as well. Bonus. So this is my, my headline here is that when you buy a car that it, it's your fun car and it costs about everything else in your, in your garage, it's an event car, but you're also intellectually aware of the fact it's also a car. It's mm. just a car. Mm-hmm. It's not a, oh, can you believe we spent all that for it? No, no. It's, I would have spent a, <laughs> we can't take that on the road trip. It's seriously. too valuable to drive. I, I w- it's that thinking of, I would have spent about that much anyway. So isn't it awesome? I got something I love. That's this kind of, it costs about the same as everything else in your garage. And I hope that generally, if you spend that kind of money, it isn't precious. You just mm-hmm. go, why didn't I take that? I should, why didn't I take the fun car when I did this Aaron? That was stupid. I should have taken the fun one. The middle value car also starts the discussion about it could enter and leave my life at any point. Yeah, that's fair. That's the fair. most valuable car. That's kind of out. That's mm-hmm. that's the, yeah, uh, I've yeah, always yeah. had it. I've always wanted it. I do not foresee myself selling that. Mm-hmm. The middle value is where that discussion begins. Sure. If somebody offered me the right price or you yeah. know what, we want to just have it for a year. Sure. I'm fine with it. Having mm-hmm. it a year, six months and that it leaves my life. I'm okay with that. It kind of depends, but that's the middle value car. And then of course the least valuable car is the one you just weirdly gravitate to all the time. It's crazy how it happens. There yeah. might be a most valuable car in your collection and a least valuable. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you more of the time you'll jump in the least valuable car because you don't care. Mm-hmm. It's just a quick fun hit. It's the sugar high. Yeah, I don't care good. where I take it or what happens. And it's raining weather, snow. We're just bombing around it because who cares? It's the least valuable car. It's it. My, my headline here was if, if your fun car is your least valuable car in your garage, what do you think about that car is sure. Let's try that. <laughs> It's just, I mean, why not? Exactly. It's it's been snowing for four days. This is a rear-wheel drive car. never driven rear-wheel drive in the snow. But you know what? I'm going to pull out the convertible, leave the top up, put on a big jacket, and just see how it goes. Because this car costs six grand. You know what I mean? Everything else in the garage was 30. This one was 10. Whatever. You you do. You want to try stuff. But here's the thing. You can end up ringing that car out to a wonderful degree. And look, I'll put it in my own uh, car ownership. This was my feeling on the FRS, which look, I paid about 20 grand for it. I mm-hmm. got it when it was only a couple years old, paid sure. about 20 grand. So paid 
legitimate money for it. But I also just kept thinking, I bought a Toyota mm-hmm. sports car. Mm-hmm. So you know what? I'm going to put winter tires on it. I'm going to drive it all winter. It was actually a Subaru, but you know who's, well, who's dicing the onion. But I, but you know, I'm I've been less prone to pull the Lotus out in the winter and get winter tires for it because let's be honest, it doesn't do well in the rain. Yeah, so true. you know, but but I'm still the guy that would do it. But the FRS, it was like let's drive this, which is why we did videos of it all winter because <laughs> yeah. it was like this yeah. is just it's a Toyota fun car. Drive it. Yeah, agreed. So that least valuable car can be a third, fourth, fifth car. But it gets driven and gravitated to more mm-hmm. because I just need a quick errand. I got to go to insert mm-hmm. super close quick errand. Let's just jump in the car. It's just a quick sports car. Mm-hmm. Let's just jump in yeah, the yeah. I don't care. And it will also, at about 5,500 RPMs, and you're going towards red line, and that thought will cross your mind. You'll think, huh, if the engine blows, do I care? <laughs> In your least valuable car, you won't care. And you're like, go for it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> let's go to red light. Well, that it's like I said, it's freedom like, right there. It's, it's sure. Let's try that. This has been the funny thing with our current cheap sports cars. Well, honestly, the cheap sedans before that exactly. is because, I mean, okay. All right. I'm going to come to a screeching halt for a second. Have a reality check. You and I were able to buy those cars thanks to this show and do content for this show with those cars. I'm yes. aware of the fact that makes us different than you're just buying a car. Sure. I do get that. Sure. But at the same time. Having those cars as cheaply as we bought them has really freed us up to do things like the salt flats yeah. or a track day with very little prep because we just thought – and I need you guys to really understand this is how we feel about these cars because we do love cars. In every case, we were just like, I really don't want this car to break. True. I really want it to succeed. True. I want to have a great time with this car and come out the other side. Mainly because we still, need to make content with it yes, and but, get but with done. Yes, but with it still running, Okay. Mm. I want it to, but at the same time, I'm aware of the fact that it's not like the world is tied to this car. True. And true. so if it goes wrong, if it doesn't work on the salt flats and we get it towed up, we, we went to the salt flats fully expecting we might be towing something home. Okay. We went yeah. to track day and this is a piece coming out in about a week. We went to track day with our cheap sports cars. We did a really fun performance piece that I'm very excited to share with you guys on those cars and just kind of thought, you know what? These are high mile, very cheap somewhat maintained sports cars. Let's put them on a track. Mostly maintained. Let's wind them out <laughs> yeah. and just enjoy. There was such <laughs> yeah. freedom in that. It was so much fun. For sure. So, Ben, I hope that answers your question. Your engine, your your life won't flash before your eyes, but your engine life will flash before it your might, eyes. It might, yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe you'll get the engine light and a few other warning lights, and then you'll know. But who cares, right? There, there's no freedom quite like seeing a check engine light on an electric car. I just thought I'd bring that up again because I still can't believe that's actually happened to me. When your car needs new brakes, and it will, it's a great time to upgrade for better stopping power. We're excited to partner with PowerStop Brakes for an easy way to get more performance for something you already need. PowerStop is on a mission to deliver better brakes on every vehicle in every situation, from daily commuting to towing to track days. These are bolt-on, direct-fit parts for better braking with no modifications required. Every PowerStop Complete Brake Kit comes with all the parts you need to upgrade your brakes. That includes the pads, rotors, and even those little clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low dust and noise-free performance. So the next time you need new brakes or simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use car finder. Todd and I even found great kits for our SUVs and cheap sports cars. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. Yasha is writing us from Dallas, Texas. He has a second child coming, and he has a Porsche Cayman. 
He's got a Cayman S in mm-hmm. manual to replace his Volkswagen GTI in manual. It got totaled from hail damage way back in 2016. He says he's enjoyed the Cayman immensely for the past five years, but he's afraid he might have to let it go because his wife is expecting their second child by the end of the year. That's uh, yeah. Cayman and two kids and, and your wife. It's that, that's not happening. Cayman plus two case, kids. In case you didn't notice, mm-hmm. uh, the Cayman is a two seater. You're about to have a four person family. I'm not good at math, but that's uh, that Porsche does build a four passenger sports car. Technically. Yes. Well, he says currently things work great. His wife has the family SUV, which is a 2016 Lincoln MKX SUV. She loves it as their family hauler. And he's got his Cayman as the daily. Mm-hmm. He's able to take his son, who's two, on the daycare runs into the local Porsche Club cars and coffee events. But the issue they're currently running into is being able to take road trips or Porsche Club spirited drives with all three of them. Mm-hmm. This is something he and his wife did relatively often before their son was born. But now they have to take the Lincoln when all three of them go and park in the distant and dark corner with the hopes that his Porsche hat will suffice. That's like wearing Ferrari shoes. To I'm a, the cars I'm a Porsche owner, just not that one. Did you see my cool Ferrari shoes? Uh-huh. Nobody's buying it. As his son is getting older, they would love to take him along on some of these adventures, but for obvious reasons, can't do that in the Cayman. As they recently found out, he says, a second child is on the way, which makes him start thinking mm-hmm. more about the need for the replacement that would fit all four of them. I see it. Now, his wife's main requirement is the car must be able to fit two car seats to solve the use case of him not being able to take both kids somewhere at a moment's Mm -hmm. notice. So he says, I suppose that's a reasonable request. It's not constant. But here's the other thing about it is that uh, Yasha works from home. He doesn't put a whole lot of miles on a car anyway. So the reality is his wife might be somewhere in the family hauler and it's I need you to get the kids plural, which also means, by the way, rear facing Mm-hmm. car seats, mm-hmm. yep. which are the biggest and most difficult to work with. So this is where the Cayman is not only out, but also just sports cars in general are, get a lot harder. Well, Yasha, I'm glad to see this later on your email. You did start thinking about the Porsche 911. You said mm-hmm. two seats in the Absolutely, back. Yeah. But again, with the rear facing seats, it's not that simple. And he says his wife is a solid five foot nine. He's six foot. Okay. So we started thinking about what his other options are. Came up with the C-Class, maybe an AMG E-Class. Mm-hmm. He said he thought about Lexi. He thought about BMWs. He's never really been a huge fan. But he doesn't know that, you know, his dad preferred Mercedes. His younger brother owns a 328i. He loves the idea of a fast wagon. He's not sure the Volvo V60 or V90 would be great to drive, although they're superb looking. Mm-hmm. I do love you acknowledge the E-Class wagon phenomenal. is phenomenal. The car. I yeah. mean, he says it appeals to him greatly. He could fit the kid's stuff in the back. His tennis or bike gear, no issues. But his preference would be something that's fun to drive, preferably rear-wheel drive and manual, which is a small to non-existent list, list given yeah. the back seats. Yeah. He says that's not a deal breaker, though. But he says, is the Chevy SS the answer to all my questions? Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, it could be. It definitely could be. The Chevy SS. I, I, here's the thing. I love that you brought up the Chevy SS, Yasha. Going through this email, I'm starting to formulate my list, and I thought Chevy SS should be on it. And then the only one I thought of is I was like, you're a Porsche fan. The Panamera should be on it. Guess what? Next sentence, you said, I could find a Panamera for my budget and call it a day. You have already identified two that I think absolutely work. I've got others, but you've already identified two that would definitely work. He's not head over heels about the idea. He says there's the Taycan. He says it's never smart to buy the first-gen car, and not to mention a well-used first-generation car. But here's the bigger problem, Yasha, that you probably don't realize if you haven't been in it. The Taycan is very cool. The Taycan is not a good four-seater. Not for adults. The, the Panamera. Kids, but yes. see, I don't think it's got enough space for a rear-facing child seat either. 
I think it almost uh, has the 9-11 I, I bet you problem. It does. I bet you it does. Maybe just barely. It's, it's really down depend. from Panamera in size, but That's it's not the tiny. The Panamera would definitely do rear-facing child yeah, yeah, seats. Yeah. The Taycan, it's going to depend on what seats and where you put your seating position, yeah. which is the same issue you have in the 9-11. True. So the Taycan, foot, I bet you'd fit. The Taycan has small back seats. It does. The Panamera does. has very usable back seats. I think the Taycan is out for space. He says it doesn't have to be four doors necessarily, and he, he's got the drive homework list going. He's a good got one. everything we've said so far, including the Stinger and the Genesis G70, mm-hmm. the Volvos, a WRX STI. He says, can you fit two car seats in the back of a Mustang? Not any more than you can in a 911, honestly. Uh, it's about the same. Yeah, They've got marginally more 911 space. might still be a little bit smaller. But marginally yeah. more space in the 991, 992. Have a, sorry, marginally less than the Mustang, but not by much. Mm-hmm. You do mention mention hatchbacks in here. You might be mildly interested, but the the ones you're naming are the GTI uh, Golf R or the Fiesta ST. He says he really wants that dream of all four of them going. So that does mean mm-hmm. car seats. Mm-hmm. I get that. I love your list here, but I will start Yasha saying sell the Cayman. You've had a nice run with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Paul just said sell a Cayman. I, by the way, I know not buy sell. It's well, that's because clearly a Ferrari FF is the right choice here. <laughs> Not for seventy thousand dollars. Seventy thousand? No, it's the right choice. Unfortunately, his budget is seventy. Oh, so 70. that's uh, sorry, not one hundred and seventy. Oh, seventy. That's why. that's the only problem. Because I was thinking Aston Martin repeat. I was thinking, yeah, you know, not also also get? surprisingly small back seats in that one too. Unfortunately, <laughs> but Yasha, I have choices for you. I have good. two new, newish or newer choices for you, and one old choice for you. For new, you could go the Mercedes AMG GLC forty three. Still yeah. close to 400 horsepower. Yeah. Brand new. They're $70,000 loaded mm. the way you want. It's like a large hatchback in the right light, <laughs> like in the right angle. It's like a large-ish hatchback. Yeah, okay. We are SUV, but yes. And I SUV, uh-huh. you yeah. could definitely get the kid seats back there. Yeah. It drives really well. Yeah. Better than you think. Yeah, we for sure. all loved the GLC 43. Yeah, that's very good. And that 43 means it keeps the price down. It's still got unbelievable yeah. power. It's not the... It's not the, the the crown jewel AMG engine, right. but you will not be in it going, this is slow. It's, it's the V6, almost 400 horsepower, but the crown jewel that Todd's talking about is that four liter V8. Mm-hmm. It's not the V8, it's the V6, but still gobs of power. Yeah. Really it fast. Might, I think it actually might be a straight six, which it, if it, I'll I, have in, to look. In some of the 43, 53 versions of the AMGs, it's, it's yeah, a straight it, six. It kind of depends. We'll look even up. cooler. Yeah. You could also look at new or used. The GLA 45, Mercedes-AMG GLA 45, yes. the new one has just barely come out. Mm-hmm. You can get, for far less than 70, you can get that other hatchback, and it's like the gentleman's hatch. It's lowered, yeah. but yeah. it's hatchy. You'll have to, the car seats that you buy, you'll have to go do a test fit. You're going to have to, yeah, plan that for sure. But I'm going to I'm gonna really push hard for this old choice. For 70 grand, Okay, a BMW 1M from 2011. Whoa. 70 grand. I found them on autotempest.com slash every day. Mm-hmm. I found a couple of them. Actually, one was at Chicago Motor Cars. They're, they're excellent. I wonder about the child seats, but they are excellent. I wonder, but for 70 grand, it's unique. Your mm-hmm. brother will do backflips and say, welcome mm-hmm. to the BMW family. Your father might not ever speak to you again, but <laughs> nevertheless, you would have a very, very cool good. new That's experience. Really good. And if you get one, they're usually thirty to forty thousand miles for something mm-hmm. at seventy k. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to get a sixty thousand mile car, you're at fifty five, sixty. Mm-hmm. So you'd be getting a really nice one, which means it will have had maintenance done, and you can just drive it. Plus, you don't mm-hmm. drive that much, as Todd said. You yeah. work from home. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I see a one M. 
You'll join the BMW crew. New experience. <laughs> Come on. Lots of options here, Yasha. I, I really like this discussion because there isn't... Here's the thing about this. You've had such a definitive sports car experience mm -hmm. that your next step, I think in a weird way, can free you for lots of options because you, 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 a lot of people write to us and they've never had a really good sports car experience. And now they're struggling with the family option. You've had a really good sports car experience. You're now looking for good dynamics in more of a family usable car. You have a great reference point in that Cayman and a lot of love and enjoyment of it. I also hear you like your Porsche friends. That's what I read here. You want to <laughs> hang out true. with your Porsche friends. Look so at wanna, my hat. I want to solve this a couple of ways. Okay, first off, let's just say that we are just getting you a four-door. I do like the Panamera idea. Mm -hmm. It would mm -hmm. absolutely work. You get to stay with the Porsche Club stuff. The whole family can go do Porsche drives. I do like that. I have another thought coming in a minute, but okay. the Panamera definitely works. You mentioned in your long list of to drives, and it was an excellent list, you mentioned the Genesis G70. That mm -hmm. is out. The back seats are not big enough. You don't think so? I don't think so. The Stinger works. The Kia Stinger would work. But the okay. G70, that, and that's the big place where those two cars differ, is that the, the Stinger and the G70 share a platform. The G70 is shorter. They have the same big monster V6 engine that's quite powerful that will surprise you. If you want one of those, the Stinger, the Stinger is closer to the, to the Panamera in size, and the G70 is a little bit smaller, smaller back seat. So I don't think the G70 works. The Stinger would work. You brought up, I got to go there, the Chevy SS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. That checks every single box. Get it in manual. It is a spacious, big four-door. You would enjoy that. It doesn't solve your Porsche friend's problem, but you would enjoy that car. The E-Class wagon, only if you get the biggest engine you can afford. My problem with the yeah. E-Class wagon is... Price goes up, though. Yeah, see, a long way. That's the problem. The problem with the E-Class wagon is I almost wonder if that's overkill for what you're wanting. That starts to feel to me like it eclipses your wife's car completely. Mm. I, what's mm -hmm. she what's she even have an SUV for? Which sent me down another couple interesting rabbit trails. She might start driving be the Cayman? Yeah, because the, f the four of you were just going to be in the E-Class going everywhere with all the stuff in the back, oh. and now it's done. So that see that, that you see what's oh. happened to my brain. So hang on. Oh, wait. Bef before, I, before I leave this thinking of you replacing your Cayman with a four-door, I will say one other one <clears throat> that you have not brought up, you have the money for, and you should absolutely consider Drive a Chevy SS and then go find yourself an Alpha Julia Quadrifolio. Yeah, yeah. And laugh. They are so much fun. That is, if you're coming out of a Cayman with great dynamics, you get in a Julia, you're going to be like, I don't mind having a four-door. <laughs> it's true. I'm it's very true. happy with this four-door. That would be phenomenal. But this led me down a couple of other pathways. Okay. Okay. One, you keep the Cayman. Your wife keeps her Lincoln. You spend a little bit of money. You said 25-ish. And you get yourself a third car that is your dad car. The middle value car. The middle value car. Yeah. You keep the Cayman. She has her Lincoln. For 25, 30 grand, I went to 30 because guess what you can get used at 30? You can get a Civic Type R. We're really? I found a few. You, really? On Auto Tempest, I found a few at right at 30 grand. Like first year Civic Type R's are out there for 30 grand. You could have that as your I am laughing in my four door dad car with a manual. That's pretty Put rear exciting. Seats in that, get that. You could also consider possibly new or used a Veloster N. Also exciting. Let's jump back to our topic Tuesday. Let's go to least valuable car. Okay. You could get fifteen grand and buy yourself a Fiesta ST or a five hundred Abart. Put rear facing in that, and it just is your dad hauling car. The f four of you will probably never go anywhere in that car. It's just a dad okay. hauling car. Okay. But I'll tell you my favorite solve for this. Say it. Say it. Say it. 
this is my super wild card because you didn't give me this option, but I read through email and I went, <clears throat> I've got your solve. Okay. Your wife sells her Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> your yeah. wife gets a Cayenne. Oh, You've That's solved good. the Porsche problem. The four of you can go on Porsche drives. Get your wife a GTS variant of a Ooh. Cayenne. You're going to have more money in play because she sold her Lincoln. She, I also get the impression what you're telling me. You guys, the two of you used to do Porsche drives and enjoy it, just the two of you. You can't since you had your first child and your second is on the way. She misses going with you and you want to take the kids. You get your wife a GTS. That's middle of the range Cayenne. Ooh. replaces her Lincoln. Then you go get yourself either the SS, but I think you want that Alpha Julia Quadrifolio. You have a Cayenne and a Quadrifolio in your garage. The four of you can go anywhere, anytime you want. You still have a Porsche for the Porsche events that all of you can attend with. And you have two four-seat, four-door cars for crazy family fun, and I'm stopping there. I'm a little deflated because I thought you were saying get the Cayenne and keep the Cayman, and I was uh, going to no, be all Porsche no, no, garage, no, no, and that no, really no. excited me. But 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 we're still talking about that variable where he may need to pick up multiple kids, so the Cayman still has to go. But the pro- the, the linchpin problem we're having True. here is how do True. we as a family do Porsche drives? Your wife gets a Cayenne that she will love, a Cayenne GTS. She will love it, and then you get Alpha Quadrifolio, and you both will have a lot. You'll be you'll be. Having a discussion in the morning about which car are you taking today? Because you guys are going to debate it. Plus, Yasha, you will score one point with your wife for buying her a new car. Well, I would think so. The debate so. is no longer about you. It's, I honey, think it's so. not about me. It's about you. Cayenne GTS. Well, he's got enough money to get a Julia right now. Yeah. Let's get a Julia and a Cayenne and have a nice day. You've heard us talk about drive homework. Because it's vital to drive a lot of things when trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is important. This applies to online shopping, too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all of the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. I know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss a deal on that perfect car. Autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. As we get into questions, um, we're talking a lot about multi-car garages, which brings us back to a great question from our friend Dammit Patton, who said, hang on a second. What do we think of the one-car solution? He said he listens to a lot of our car debates. He's been with us a while, and he says a lot of people have budgets of around $50,000 mm-hmm. and well, are determined. He just says when people seem to have a budget of that do, level, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they seem determined to find a car for fifty grand. And he says, hang on, with that much money, you have enough options. This is his, his thesis. You have enough, enough options with $50,000 to buy the car that is the commuter, hauler, whatever the family car is, and buy the fun-focused thing. Why don't people think that way? Now, you and I think that way, Paul. Mm-hmm. We just keep lining cars up on the driveway. Just let's get another one. Let's get another let's specialized car for that. So, yeah. so that, look, if you have the space... And the tolerance, which is a different thing. That's the crux there. Yeah. If you have the space and the tolerance. And by the way, that tolerance is not just you. That's also your maybe not car-loving spouse. Are I'm they sure. okay with okay. You have a two-car okay. garage. You have two cars in that garage. You have a car that has to park outside. What if it's your non-car-loving spouse's car that has to park outside? What's that debate? This is the big thing. I happen to know that Dammit Patton's uh, wife-to-be is quite tolerant of cars. Yeah. So that helps. Yeah, true. But, but a lot of us don't have that situation. A lot of people don't have the situation. So the reason we get the one-car solution is because I don't have the space to park it is one of the most common 
or I can't have multiple cars because I don't want multiple car insurance or multiple cars to take care of mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I have to consolidate because his concern is he feels like a lot of people are compromising too much to get a car that does well and needed to be super comfortable on the commute while I sit still. And by the way, on the weekends, it has to be super light and agile and those are not the same car. They so wind not. up in the middle ground where it doesn't do everything at a 10. It does everything at like a 7 which can be really viable, but it comes down to people's tolerance for having multiple cars. It does, and I agree with that. But that 50K price point and up actually leaves you more options for cars that do it all. Because they're more expensive, it means usually they've got more power and they've got Mm. suspension and setting changes Mm -hmm. that can transform the car from a... Like we were just talking about, Cayman can be driven every day. Yasha does with his. And he can go track it. He can do autocross. The prevalence of those cars is far greater the higher up in the budget you go. Fair you can drive an Audi R8 all Fair the time. Point. Yeah, you yeah, You yeah, track sure. that thing, you take it at high speed, and you can putt around to errands mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. There's more. 911s are a great example. You, you see sure, what I mean. Sure. So that's my headspace yeah, going that direction, whereas two $25,000 cars, okay, you're going to get a soft, plushy commuter. You're going to get a Bolt or mm-hmm. a little SUV kind of thing. Yeah. yeah great. Yeah. And then you're going to get a uh, mostly sports car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty sharp, pretty good, but mm-hmm. then... Okay, what if I had just gotten one car and then it's... Now, the difference is you're paying more for consumables, as we've said many Mm -hmm, times. mm -hmm. You're you're paying more driving that car all the time. And it seems like if it's just old familiar, your headspace towards it doesn't change enough. You've got a BMW M3. You take it to the track on weekends, but then it's also the commute car. It's my only car. What if Mm. something happens on track? Mm -hmm. Yeah, But also... I'm used to just comfortably driving around in this thing and putting the power down to get around traffic. I'm not used to doing track driving and mm-hmm. get up on edge. And that's the counterpoint for this argument mm, interesting. is two specific tools for the job. You will drive them differently because your approach and headspace to them is far different. I see your point. Yeah. I always do tracking in that yeah. car. I'm always doing performance driving. Whenever I get in, I'm in a performance driving headspace. Mm-hmm. That's my commute car. I always get in. I've got a cup of coffee, yeah. Yeah. bag, clothes, whatever, commute, plushie. That's the counterpoint for it. But it it. really depends on the person, depends on their debate. Speaking of which, Barajero says, which car has the most dramatic difference between comfort and sport or race? Hmm. The cars that generally have a suspension change, and that that means adaptive suspension. Yeah, yeah. The cars that have that setting where we can truly feel it. Civic Type R comes to mind. That one's really good. Cruising around, comfortable, mm-hmm. civic, mm-hmm. sport mode. What? Yeah. What is this thing? Anything with GM's magnetic ride. Yes. That is a significant change. The current C8 is in there, but you know what? The SS was in there. The, the Cadillac CTS-V was in there, mm-hmm. where it was like, it, it is everything you think of the old Bodie Cadillacs, mm-hmm. and then you cranked it as sporty as you went, and you went, what just happened there? How did this car change? Yeah. The others are the AMG Mercedes with a track mode mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you think well this what happened to my card feels really angry i don't know if i'm angry am i angry <laughs> <laughs> didn't start angry i'm angry now <laughs> and then going one further is the porsches that have sport plus which changes the motor mount settings it's oh, almost yeah. like you screwed it directly to the chassis yeah that's, that's when you feel the engine it suddenly goes oh yeah yeah, yeah. we're doing track time that's the mm. biggest difference. That's good. Uh, Kazi Chav says, uh, what would we do to add more character? This is a 
room full of rakes and landmines to the Golf GTI or Golf R. <laughs> Sell both and buy yourself a Mazda 3 Turbo. What? <laughs> Who said that? No, character. Character. Oh. Um, okay. What is the middle ground in styling? And I don't have an answer, but I'm just having you all imagine this. Between the current GTI or Golf R and the Civic Type R. Imagine the middle ground in styling. Imagine the the slightly bulbous fenders you used to see on the, I'm going to go way back, the Delta Integrale. Oh. That kind of boxy, punched-out fenders. Why yeah. doesn't the Golf R have that? Like Group B fenders. Kind of. Yeah. Why doesn't it have that? That just It's not just, oh, you see the little R badge? That, no, come on. Mm. Like, let's, let's punch out those mm. fenders. That would be something that would give it a styling personality. But driving personality is going to have to be... Maybe maybe fully adjustable suspension like we're talking about. Mm. But it, it it never stops feeling like the same front-wheel drive chassis that you got on a base Golf. It feels better. It feels like somebody took a base Golf, and they know what they're doing, and they set this car up more for track duty and fun. But you can still feel the breeding. Mm-hmm. So if it was something in the way it was set up, let's just say, and they're talking about in the, the Mark 8, which we haven't driven they're talking about how it's going to have a drift mode. If it's going to have a drift mode, we're talking about Ford Focus RS thinking. You got to spend, spend spend more power to the back wheels, which is something they typically have not done. I also think that for the Golf R, they would need something other than the Haldex all-wheel drive system, because the Haldex is a responsive all-wheel drive system. It's essentially a front-wheel drive car. Mm-hmm. And then every now and then the back goes, "Oh wait, oh oh sorry, my turn." Sure. And sure. if it had a, a closer to a symmetrical all-wheel drive system or maybe even a rear-biased all-wheel drive system, this would give that car chuckable personality that would separate it from the rest of the lineup. Do I think any of that's going to happen? We shall see. Oh, look, speaking of design, Noah B03, Noah Borless 03 says, Design question, early car styling was very basic and resembled wagons. It's because that's what they were based on. Mm-hmm. He says, then it started to get into beautiful rounded shapes due to manufacturing process limitations. And it went boxy and remained somewhat boxy until the 80s and 90s when we got very rounded shapes again. Now we're very much in an angular and sharp line sort of styling phase. Do we think future styling will eventually go back to more of a rounded and clean shape? Or will it go somewhere else? Mm. Well, as you know, back in the late 20s, I believe it was 27, 1927, is when Harley Earl discovered that cars can be a fashion item and they can be sold solely on the basis of how they look. Mm which was the first color and trim department at General Motors. So Harley Earl is credited with that. So he was really the first guy to lead a design studio where other car manufacturers kind of thought the same thing. At that point, it was no longer just, well, we're covering up the components of the car, which you can see in the 1910s, 20s, and 1930s cars. We're just covering up suspension components and covering up engines. This is flat sheet metal. That's how we do it. Put a radiator in the front. But then he introduced this kind of feeling and then fins, fins are not useful for anything, but styling, <laughs> they sold cars. They remind us of rockets and airplanes. That's Yay. right. But that reflected the times. Those yeah, fins sure. reflected sure. the times. Yeah. Everybody was into going to the moon, rockets. Mm-hmm. Completely. Think, as you said, spaceships and yeah. you know, all that kind of thinking. So yeah, it, it's very hard to project, but where we're going is digital electronic Mm. it's crisp edges it's hard edges it's very clinical and the cars that will combine beautiful shapes along with a futuristic feel will be the most successful Mm. the problem is they will be the most successful for that period of time yeah yeah and they're sold they'll be popular and they'll be this is the best car for that moment 
we're seeing a Ford Mustang Mach-E is a good example because you can tell there's two sides of the room going future tech electric and the other side of the room going old school Mustang 1964 yeah, yeah, pull yeah. it back the other way right, you can yeah, yeah. see that in the styling yeah, that's a great point you could, it doesn't look that futuristic but mm-hmm. it doesn't look old school either there's something about it mm-hmm. it does it does feel like a split room I hadn't thought about it in those terms but you're right it was very much how future looking can we go while still looking like Eleanor. It's like, wait a minute, guys, hang on. You can't have both. It's not possible. It's trying to coexist. Yeah, it is. It's polarizing, but it's the right car for now. Will it look great in the future? Mm. Mm. Eh, We'll see. Well, look at, we've been keep talking about it. Look at the ID4. We just had, this was episode one of season nine. We had the the Mustang Mach-E, the Tesla Model Y, Mm -hmm. and the ID4. Look at the ID4 compared to the current Golf or Taos or Atlas. It looks related, but it looks like the 20 years in the future sci-fi movie version of the current Volkswagen lineup. And your word clinical is key. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. much of the current styling is going toward a very clinical, stark look, which I honestly do not find attractive. But that suggests future. And we've done, here's the thing, for 50, 60 years, we've done movies where the future was all white and black mm-hmm. and everything was super stark. Mm-hmm. And this is what the future looked like. And now we are bringing it up about, we are designing cars that look this way. And I think there's going to be a revolt that spins us the other way that just goes, we're going to get enough cars yeah. in, in the general populace that have that kind of stark look. And everybody's going to feel like it's future. And 10 years later, they're going to go, that feels really old. Yeah, I totally agree. So Noah, I think it's the car companies that will best integrate a beautiful form, mm. a beautiful surface. Whereas you can see where BMW is going with the styling. It's it's a wireframe connected by surfaces. And this is the car. It's defined by those lines. Whereas Mercedes is still defined by the surfaces and the mm. highlights and the, you know, the shadows where surfaces roll underneath. So the car companies that will be able to do both and make us believe that this is future tech wrapped in a sexy, clean, devoid of surface form. Mm. That that is also future. This is new technology, but it feels old school. It feels beautiful. It feels like there's an emotional connection to that. When we connect emotionally with noise, exhaust notes, mm-hmm. shifting manually, mm-hmm. doing things ourselves, that styling is going to have to convince us that that new tech is the one to buy. Yeah. And those companies, those designers that do that successfully, those will be the cars that will be like, okay. I'm all right with the future now. Staying with this idea of styling is so... I love that you keep coming back to the emotion of styling, Paul, and it plays right in here to uh, Jorge's question. He says he's inspired by looking at that um, fourth fourth series that we are driving that has the beef teeth. Right, right. He's saying how important are looks for the buying process. He is about to buy a brand new Miata. Okay, okay. Brand new, which, which you know from listening to us, Jorge, we're big fans. So the ND2... He's going to buy an RF, the retractable fastback, so the hard top that retracts. But his brain says he should get the rag top. He prefers the look of the RF. Which way should he go? Jorge, I'm gonna, I can actually define this for you, and I'm going to ask you, how much are you going to have the top down? Are you a person who's going to have the top down every now and then mm-hmm. when the weather's perfect? I think then you need the RF because the RF, I, I'm going to stand by it. I think the RF is like the E-Type. I think 20 years from now, you're going to be looking at an RF going, that's a pretty car. Yeah. I think it's that good a styling exercise. So I think it's fantastic looking. But the problem with the RF is this. I'm assuming you fit. But the problem is the way it's designed, the way that top is designed, there's quite a bit of buffeting at the B pillar when the top is down. 
Mm. If you were going to drive it as a convertible a lot, I would get the standard ragtop because it doesn't have that buffeting because there is no B pillar. So your usage will define if you're going to be a person again, where you're going to mostly drive it with top up and you are, it's a spectacular looking car. It's much better looking with the hard top. I really, I stand by that, but it's not as good a convertible. Continuing on with the theme, Richard Damiano says, to what extent does terrain, climate, and population mm. affect car culture? And what part of car culture is the most predominant in a particular area? He asks because he recently visited all the lower 48 U.S. states by car. Oh, wow. Whoa. He started thinking about this after seeing a yellow Toyota Supra on a dealer lot in Aberdeen, South Dakota, mm. population about 26,000 people, and listening to episode 617. Richard, there's always one of us car enthusiasts, the outlier that drives that funky yellow. Th- oh, wait. Hi. Sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, I, am the, I am that guy. I, I was actually going to say, can I have the phone number for that lot in South Dakota? Because apparently nobody else is going to buy that car. I'm right. supposed to. There's always some car enthusiast yes. with a insert thing here. And you're going, I've never seen one of those. Why am I seeing it here? Mm-hmm. This is crazy. It's because that's just going to happen. But for the most part, all the things you're suggesting, yes, of course, mm-hmm. people aren't necessarily buying for the emotion, even though they want to. But that's why all the Jeeps and Subarus and all that stuff exist. And they're buying for my cost and my family's safety. And mm-hmm. well, it needs to fit my lifestyle. And I've got a, a glimpse of the lifestyle I want to have. It involves, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, some sporting gear. And I want a car that can fit that sporting <laughs> gear. And that's why I drive this. And I don't get to do that. I do that like once or twice a year, maybe. But then this is the car that kind of keeps that hope alive sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I could probably drive an 86 all year long and be fine with it. Sure. It's not asking those hard questions about our driving habits that lead us to buy things like, again, to come back to it, the Subarus. Well, it's muddy and we take it to the, you know, go surfing in Mexico and we get it full of sand and mm-hmm. windsurfing and all that stuff. Well, I'll go you one further, Richard. It is absolutely to what Paul's saying, but it's absolutely the fact that where do you live in the country and what kind of weather will you encounter? It is actually difficult to go to most dealer lots in the southern part of the U.S. I'm talking Southern California and work your way east and find on the lot a lot of all-wheel drive options. Yeah. yeah. But get above the center of the country. Colorado and up. We can't, we can't get away from Subarus. That's all they've got. Everyone has a Subaru. Everyone yeah. bought something all-wheel drive. Yep. And the lots have all-wheel drives. And you don't want an all-wheel drive. And they look at you like you grew another head. <clears throat> My what neighbor also bought her about? third Forester with the painted on woody sides. Yes, it looks fantastic. Yes, yeah. She has got a vinyl version <laughs> of the old woody thing. And she keeps putting them on Foresters. Every couple of years, the Forester changes. And the vinyl woody thing is the same. Yeah. I want to know who she's getting to do that. Because I like to put them out of business. Separate thing. <laughs> Separate rant. Sorry. But, but Richard. Richard, there's always going to be the outliers, but I'm, I'm amazed that Super showed up at that dealer at all. They clearly got an allotment for one and said, we're going to get one anyway. But I don't know who buys that because it is absolutely a regional thing totally. based on yeah. your weather. And the average person is going to buy, I hate to say it, but it's true. That's why we do this podcast. They're going to buy closer to their appliance needs than their wants, mm-hmm. unless they are like us, a car geek. We really appreciate all your questions. Remember your topic Tuesdays, car debates and car conclusions, of course, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. And we're so looking forward to sharing episode three, Beaver and Horse. (laughs) I can't say it without laughing. It's really fun. Thank you guys for all your questions. Cheers, everyone.